Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We still live in the greatest country in the world. Amen. I don't care what you think, what you hear. We still live in the greatest country in the world. But oftentimes over these past two weeks, especially, we can really look at our country and our world. And maybe you're like me and you have this question where you're looking at what is happening what is going on, and you're going, let's be honest, where in the world is God in this moment? Yes, we live in the greatest country and the most free country in the world, but how many know sometimes it feels like, where are you, God? We look at these senseless shootings over the past two weeks, and it's grieved my heart that 1,700 miles apart, two 18-year-old kids decided to do what they wanted to do, and to take people's lives into their own hands. And I'm just, I'm gonna be honest. Those shootings grieve me. They've made me angry at times. Can I say that? It's okay if your pastor's angry. Maybe angry to hear about those. And maybe it's because I have kids that are in the second, third, and fourth grade. And I can't imagine sending them to school and never coming back. I can't imagine having my mom go to the grocery store and not coming back. We can't imagine those things. And we begin to wonder why, God, where in the world are you in these moments? And if we're really honest with ourselves, and I'm honest with myself, the question we all really have is how are we supposed to respond to this? How are we supposed to feel? How are we supposed to go about our lives? What are we supposed to do? And those are just national tragedies that many of us, we don't have any loved ones in Buffalo or Texas in those areas. But let me just say this. What are some personal tragedies in your life right now? Maybe, maybe a loved one has cancer or has just passed away with cancer. That's a tragedy to you. Maybe there's a friend or a loved one who has an addiction that just keeps raging on that they cannot seem to kick. And they just keep going up and down. And that tragedy, that grieving process of when they're high, you're high. When they're low, you're low. And you're grieving with them. But let's step back from just even those personal disasters to look at the natural disasters and the tragedies that happen. We all are familiar with floods and hurricanes. Amen. Come on. We know all too well about them. And some of you and some of people you know have lost everything in those floods, in those hurricanes. Some of you have lost everything. There's been a tragedy in your finances because you lost your job. And God forbid some of you have had the tragedy of not getting pregnant or losing child after child after child. And we're asking ourselves, how do we respond to this? How are we supposed to feel about this? And I know as a pastor, the first thing that I go to is, well, WWJD. <laughs> I look at my bracelet. Oh, I don't have it on. That was in the early 90s. But still, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And many of you might be going, well, Jesus never dealt with anything like this. He was God. He didn't have to deal with tragedy in his life. He just was Jesus. He rose above everything, and he's like floating on clouds now. And you might be going, well, I don't even know how to respond because Jesus doesn't tell me in this book how I'm supposed to respond. I want to help you this morning because Jesus is, in one instance, brought to a tragedy. Somebody comes to him and sticks a newspaper in front of his face and he hears about it and they begin asking him questions in Luke chapter 13. Here's what happens. It says, about this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. So they came and told him, Jesus, did you hear? There was a senseless killing where Pilate, the governor, went in to our synagogue and killed our people. 
And here's what they asked him. Watch this. Here's their response. Well, Jesus, do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee? What were they trying to do? Listen to me. They were trying to blame someone. They were trying to explain, watch this, the unexplainable. Because nothing anyone will say will make those two shootings better. I can't give you a reason why that's going to satisfy you to go, got it. Thanks, Pastor Chris. That's all I needed to know. No one's going to make sense of your tragedy. But Jesus here answers a question that they say, well, were they worse sinners? Because they believe back then if something bad happened to you, come on. They, they thought that God did it to them. You must be doing something bad. And how many of us get in that destructive mindset at times where we think because we have bad things happen to us, I must be upsetting God right now. He's not a tyrant dictator. He's a loving father. So watch this. So Jesus answers the question in only Jesus fashion with another question. Here's what he says. Is that why they suffered? He said, verse three, not at all. And you will perish too, unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. Verse four, and what about the 18 people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? He brought up another tragedy. He goes, let's go not to a murder. Let's go to a tragedy and a, a disaster, an accident. So he's like, what about these 18 people? Were they worse sinners in Jerusalem? Verse five, no, I tell you again that unless you repent, you will perish too. Now, I want you to catch this because this is what Jesus does. That when a tragedy happens, he's not responding by going, where is God? I don't know where God is. Or he's not thinking, what was Pilate doing? Why would Pilate do that? We need to go get Pilate. He wasn't saying that. And you notice Jesus, Jesus wasn't saying, where were the engineers on that tower? They need to be blamed right now. They need to come into account for their actions because they didn't secure the tower. Jesus didn't blame anyone. You want to know what Jesus did? Jesus is saying in a moment of tragedy, he's saying, I don't want you to blame anyone. I don't want you to try to point fingers. I want you in a moment of tragedy. I want you to say, what is God speaking to you? Because that's what he said. And you notice he didn't just make it personal. He didn't just go, hey, you're going to be like them if you don't repent. He made it eternal. Because he talked about perishing. That's not just a earthly death. How many know that's an eternal death? So watch it. He didn't just make it personal. He made it eternal. And today I want to help us because I believe it's too easy to blame someone in times of tragedy. Amen. It's too easy to blame someone. And we probably are justified in that because it makes us feel better. But I want to remind you this morning that Paul talks about in Ephesians 6 that for, for our fight here in this world, we are not fighting a, a, a war of flesh and blood. Those are not our enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly realm. What does that mean? It means it's not a physical battle. It's a spiritual one. And I don't care how you put it. No one can convince me that those two acts can be explained or justified. Those were demonic, dark forces that are trying to tear people apart. They're trying to kill, steal, and destroy. To destroy people's hope. To, to bind us into fear. To get us wondering, oh no, what's going to happen to my kids? That is not God. It is a spiritual attack. And listen to me, if that is true, if it is a spiritual battle that we are in and it's not against flesh and blood, that it's not against government and politics, it's not against red against blue, it's not a political situation or a law situation, you cannot conquer the spiritual with the physical. It does not work like that. And for us to look otherwise, it's foolish. So Pastor Chris, how do I need to see it then? We need to see it differently through a spiritual lens. And might I add, listen to me right here. Please get this. We need to see tragedies, no matter what big, small, national, or personal, through the eternal perspective that God gives us. Because the only thing that will ever satisfy us 
is Jesus. We sang about it. Nothing else will do. Nothing else will satisfy. So I want to help us this morning look through an eternal perspective. How many want to see that this morning? Pastors, help, 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 help us with an eternal perspective. I want to help you this morning because Jesus knew this world would be bad. How many know it's tough out there? It's tough out there. He knew that we would have trouble, that it would be discouraging, that we would be frustrated. And so he encourages us by telling us in John 14, follow along, this is so good. He tells us this. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You're like, great, Jesus. He's like, trust in God, trust also in me. And, and if you know John 14, you know he's marching to the cross. He's about to go away. So he's talking to his disciples and he's going, hey, don't be troubled by this world. And they're going, okay. Trusting God, trust also in me. And they're going, okay. And what do you think the next line would be? And if you know it, great. And if you don't know it, that's okay. But like the next line in my story would go, and Jesus, and Jesus said, come here, let me give you a big hug now and make it all better, right? Or come here, let me pray for you. Come on, Shasha, give me a hug, come on. See, y'all didn't know I know a little Cajun now. You didn't know that. You would think he would go, okay, let me do a miracle now so that you never have to experience trouble again. And it looked like LeBron was doing his thing and he did, yeah. And all of a sudden the world was great again. It doesn't work like that. Jesus didn't say that. He didn't say, let me do a miracle. He didn't say, let me do something now. The next verse, (laughs) here's what he says right after that. He says, you're gonna have troubles it's just also me. And here's what he says. Verse two. In my father's house, there are many rooms. Now, if you're like me, I'm going, Jesus, you just flipped the script way in the... I don't know what you just did there, but you did something crazy to me. Because you said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in me. But in my father's house, we got many rooms. We got some mansions. What is Jesus doing? Watch this. Jesus is saying, don't let your hearts be troubled because you're gonna have trouble here. He said, I don't want you to focus on down here. I want you to focus on my father's house up there. Because in my father's house, he says, there are many rooms, meaning there's room for all of us. And he says, there's many rooms and I'm actually gonna go there, he says, to prepare a place for you. He's saying, I don't want you to think temporal. I don't want you to think earthly. I want you to see eternal. And when you do that, things look differently. You begin to change the lens. Jesus didn't say don't have troubles because guess what? You're not going to have troubles. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled because listen, you need to redirect your gaze up to him and to where you're spending eternity. You need to change the lens of the tragedy that you're seeing and look at it not from an earthly perspective, but an eternal perspective. What did Jesus do? He always redirected them to an eternal perspective. It's like people come in and they ask for counseling, pastoral counseling, and myself, Pastor Joseph, Pastor Blake, and all of our pastoral team will sit down and The hardest ones are people that come in, and I get this a lot, where people go, Pastor Chris, fix me. You just fix me. Fix my situation. Fix me. And I'm just kind of laughing, and I'm not trying to laugh, but I'm laughing. And and they're like, just make make things better. Can you make me better? I just want to be better, right? And and the, the heart and the attention is good. And so as I sit people down, I tell them oftentimes, I'm not here to fix you. I cannot fix you. I'm not a savior. I'm not a magician. I'm just a pastor, And I tell them this very clearly, that counseling isn't to make things better. It's to change your perspective. Think about it for a moment. Any psychiatrist you go to, psychologist you go to, any pastoral counseling you have, you go and say, I want to get better. I want things to get better. But what happens is they just talk to you and you're like, that's not what I need, you know? And you're going, why are you just talking? Is talking going to make me feel better? No, talking makes you feel better because it'll allow you to process. And when you process, you realize how foolish, look at me, your perspective is on the situation. And so what counseling is all about is changing your perspective in what you see. 
Because at the end of the day, things might not get better. That's just the reality that here on earth, things might not get better. So our perspective has to shift to an eternal perspective. Let me, let me say it this way. Soren Kierkegaard was a 19th century Danish philosopher. And you don't have to worry about his name, but he described, he had a quote that described perspective and this analogy of eternal perspective to a sailor. And I love this quote. You can follow along. Here's what he says. He says, when the sailor is out on the sea and everything is changing around him, as the waves are being born and dying. I love that. Think about it in your, your life. As tragedies are coming and going, as things are happening, as you rise with life and you fall with life. Listen to this. What, is, what does he do? He does not stare into the depths of these, of these waves, these changing conditions, since they vary. What does he do then? He looks up at the stars. And why? Because they are faithful. As they stand now, they stood for the patriarchs and will stand for coming generations. By what means then does he conquer changing conditions? Through the eternal. By means of the eternal, one can conquer the future because the eternal is the foundation of the future. Come on, somebody. Eternal is the foundation of the future. Meaning this, when you look at life through eternal eyes and perspective and heart, then when tragedies come, I don't get high or low. I just, I stay right here. Then when I lose my job, I stay right here. That when the cancer comes back, I stay right here. When my kids say no to the 100th time when you invite them to church, I stay right here. I will not let tragedy define the way I view things. We need an eternal perspective. We need an eternal perspective. How do I do that? Let me give you three simple principles, and you can write these down. Three simple principles that will absolutely, listen to me, change your life if you get this. It'll change your perspective. It'll change the way you do things. It'll change the way you live if you can get this down. Three simple principles on changing your perspective to the eternal. Number one, the first thing is this. You gotta focus my eyes on heaven and not on earth. Focus my eyes on heaven and not on earth. How many of you in here, when you, when you die, you want to go to heaven? Raise your hand real quick. Okay, just want to see it. Awesome. Some of y'all just like this. You flashed it. You didn't know if Jesus is looking. He might want to see you raise it for more. Right? I, I want to, how many want to go to heaven right now? Come on, that's some of y'all. Okay, let's go. Drink the Kool-Aid. No, I'm kidding. It's right in your seat pocket in front of you. No, I'm kidding. Right? You had hundreds raise their hand who want to go to heaven you only had about a dozen who really said, I want to drink the Kool-Aid with you. Let's go now. Why is that? Because we don't know what heaven is like. But listen, we know that heaven has to be better than what is now. But yet we don't want to go. We complain about the world, but we don't want to go to heaven. And listen, this is the big thing. When our eyes are fixed on heaven and not on earth, we see things differently. And we move differently. Because where your eyes go, watch this, your body will follow. How do you know that, Pastor Chris? I know that because some of y'all are crazy drivers. And you're driving along and you're going, oh, look at that house. It's so sweet. And you're, you're all in my lane. You're halfway in my lane. And I'm laying on the horn because you didn't realize that your eyes were looking one way and your car's going the same way. I, I, this would happen a lot in football with me when I played for the Saints and I would be against Drew Brees in practice and he would be just bombing him over my head and the coach would be yelling from across the, the field, you know, because Drew could look you off like he'd look over here and then throw it way over there. And coach would always ask me, Reese, where are your eyes? Where are your eyes? Because if my eyes were on my assignment, I wouldn't get fooled by Drew Brees every time. 
Let me explain something to you if you're a born-again believer of Jesus. Listen to me. This is not your home. This is not your home. This is not your home. Don't place your hope here. Don't place your eyes or your treasure here because freedom cannot be found on earth, only in heaven. We are visiting here. I, I love it because my, my, my wife had a conversation with my 10-year-old daughter the other night. She's putting her to bed and my daughter asked this, this, some strange questions at times and she asked my wife, she goes, Mommy, are there really aliens See, no one laughed at any of the services either because some of y'all are very serious. You're going, I want to know this answer. <laughs> I want to know, what does the Bible say about aliens? Does it have anything? Are aliens with them? And my wife, so wise, she didn't, she didn't expect any of this. And she, she looked at my 10-year-old and she goes, um, yes, there really are aliens. Now, some of y'all just want to leave right now. You're going, this, is, this church is crazy. My wife goes, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Peter actually calls us aliens to my daughter in this world. We're strangers and aliens. So my wife just sermonized my daughter right there. She flipped it and she just said, don't be worrying about the aliens up there. It doesn't even matter. What you need to know is you're an alien here. Why does, she, why does she want her to know that? Because if you understand that you're walking into a foreign land, you walk differently, talk differently, look differently. You can see tragedies differently through a different lens because you know it's all temporal. Eternal comes from the inside. The only things that will last are souls of man. And so when we see it, we are aliens in this world just visiting. So I can view things differently. I can walk differently. Because Jesus said, he told us, he said, you can mark the end of times, that the end is near when things start going bad. Well, we done jumped that ship about five years ago, okay? Things have been bad. He said this, when nations are in turmoil, people are afraid, strange signs on the earth, all of those, check, check, check. Then here's what he says. Here's what he tells us to do when those things come, and they are here. Here's what it says. Luke 21, verse 28 says this. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. He's saying, when you see the end times and you see craziness happen and in tragedy, you can't explain. When you experience things in your life, don't sit down and look around. Get your eyes up because this is not your home. Your redemption is drawing near. I don't know about you. That gives me such satisfaction that I know I'm visiting this earth and I'm gonna do all I can to spread God's truth, love, and joy because I'm only here temporarily on an assignment. So I'm not gonna keep my eyes down. I'm gonna keep my eyes looking up because if you walk around with your eyes looking around or down, you're going to bump into a lot of stuff. But if you keep it looking up, you keep waiting and waiting and waiting and watch the hope and the joy. Watch the perspective that you have when you view tragedies. It's completely eternal and not temporal. Number two is this. It's not just what your eyes see. It's what your life does. Number two is to see things from an eternal perspective I need to focus my life on the unseen, not the seen. On the unseen, not the seen. I want you to think for a moment. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a life plan that isn't all about what you see? Pause for a moment. Do you have a life plan that isn't all about what you can see? What do I mean by that? Meaning it isn't just about you climbing the corporate ladder. That's awesome. It isn't just about you trying to get out of debt. It isn't just about you trying to get to that next house. It isn't just about you trying to get that boat or that camp or get that lease. It's not all about what you can see. Do you have a life plan that isn't about just what you can see? Because when it's just about what you can see, 
Watch this. Then when tragedy strikes, we end up posting when we should be praying. That's from the Holy Spirit right there. I'm sorry. Why, Why do we do that? Because we think that it's the way we can play our part. That's not the way we can play our part. Well, if I post this, then everybody will know how we're supposed. No, 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 no. That's on what you can see. That's on what is seen. You need to rise above to the unseen and start praying. You want to know? Because when you, when you're all about what you can see, watch this. You make it political and not spiritual. That's from the Holy Spirit as well. You make it about red versus blue. You make it about who's in office and who's not. See, if we would have this guy or this person or this, you make it all about none of this would have happened. You see, when it's only about what you can see, you end up acting and responding only about what you can see. But when you focus and get your gaze up on the unseen, listen to me now, you want significance over successfulness. What does that mean? That means you want eternal ramifications, not temporary pleasures. Temporary pleasures will satisfy you by going, see, if you would have voted this way or you would have done that or we would have these laws or we would do this or we would, then all of a sudden those are things that are seen. Those are temporal things. But when you begin to battle in the unseen, I don't know if y'all know this, there's a battle raging war. We don't even see it. And we're just going about our day like, oh, look at this penny on the ground, right? But when we begin to look at it as I want significance, I want eternal impact, not temporary pleasures, then we want God's kingdom. We want thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want it here and now. I believe it's the reason the apostle Paul kept going when he was beaten, whipped, shipwrecked, thrown into prison, snake bit, stoned, spit on, cast out, cast down, you name it. He's the greatest Christian. He wrote three-fourths of the New Testament. That's the second part where Jesus is in, in your Bible. He wrote three-fourths of that. Most of it was from prison. And so as he's writing, he wrote these questions. So this is a guy who's been through everything, yet here's what he writes. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 4. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. He says, we're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but I'm not abandoned. Struck down, he said, but I'll never be destroyed. I don't know about you, I want to live on the side of knots, right? I can acknowledge the fact that there's tragedy in this world, there's pain in this world, but I'm gonna live on the side of knots. That you may try to crush me, guess what, enemy, but you're not gonna smash me. You're not gonna destroy me. You may leave me and people may leave me, my God will never leave me. And so we can look at tragedies in a different way. People ask the question, well, where was God in these tragedies? Where was God when that second year old was getting shot? That's an easy answer. He was right there. How do you know that? Because the psalmist said that God is close to the brokenhearted, God is close. And when we live on the side of knots, things can happen to us, but that'll never get to us. Because Paul knew, here's what he knew, verse 14, he keeps going. He knew this because we know, here's what he knew. We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. He said, I'm gonna see the unseen that isn't even seen yet. And then he keeps going. Verse 16, therefore, because of all of those things, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away. Some of y'all look real good, but you're wasting away, okay? 
Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles. Paul is calling these days light and momentary because his, he's, seen, he's fixed on what is unseen. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we, what do we do? Come on, say it louder. We fix our eyes on what is, excuse me, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Are you involved with something that has eternal ramifications where your life is pointing to the unseen. That's not to make you feel guilty. That's to charge you forward. I didn't ask, are you perfect? I didn't ask, are you preaching the gospel? I didn't ask any of those. Listen, I love our serve team and all that they do because their, their life is fixed on the unseen. Their life is fixed on serving. That's why we encourage you guys to go to next steps. Well, why? I mean, I'm just, I don't care about my next step. Because we want you to get involved in eternal things. Not for our benefit, for your benefit. So that when you go through tragedies, you can begin to look at it and say, my life is pointing towards eternal ramifications and not temporary pleasures on just what I see. That's why we invite you to Wednesday night worship. And I'm encouraging you, we're teaming up with Midtown Dr. Scott and his, the whole campus there is gonna be here and we're gonna pray. We're gonna pray for the victims. Listen to me, we're gonna pray for the shooters. The two 18-year-old kids. And we're gonna pray for this nation. We're gonna pray heaven down to minister to those victims that have been torn apart right now. We're gonna pray hope into the hearts of those people who have been touched and affected by all of these things. And we're going to worship God because he is faithful. He is just. He is righteous. He is wonderful, Father. No matter what happens. That's why we ask you to come on out. Because it gives us a sight into the unseen. And when you do those things, and you live your life for the unseen, you store up treasures in heaven, the Bible says. What are those treasures going to be, Pastor Chris? I wish I knew. What are they going to smell like? I don't know. <laughs> what are they going to taste like? Probably good. <laughs> what is it going to feel like? Way better than what it's going to feel like here. So I'm going to put my hope in what I don't see instead of what I do see. Because I don't really like what I see anyway. I'm going to fix my eyes and store up my treasures in heaven. And when you live for treasures in heaven, your attitude on earth will change. Number three, write this down, and we're gonna close. You know, it's not just about your eyes. It's not just about your life. But number three, to change your perspective, I need to focus my heart on faith in Jesus, not fear of this world. I need to focus my heart on faith in Jesus, not fear in this world. When I first, <clears throat> when I first heard about the tragedies and the shootings in Texas, especially, and in Buffalo, my heart grieved. Jesus grieved. It's okay to grieve. My heart grieved. I got angry. And then something else took place. Because then I started not just to grieve or get angry. I went into Papa Bear mode, protect mode. How many were with me, right? You hear that and you begin thinking about every little thing. You're like, is my house locked right now? Do I have my guns prepped, right? You're like, you're wanting to go in prepper mode, like full mode, blow prepper. And I went to my kids and just go over, well, what about schooling? Are they, is it secure enough at the school? Like, and we get into this mode, like, I don't know. We need 27 officers there. And we get into this mode, right? Where I'm going, maybe we need to homeschool. My wife's like, don't you dare say that in front of me. And I grab my kids and I'm just like, hey, kids, stay right here. Don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. And all I wanted to do was protect. And I wanted to guard them. 
I wanted to be with them and just go, just go stay over here. Stay away from that. Don't go outside this house. Put you in a bubble. It'll be fine. Bubbles are good. Bubble boy lived for a while. But let's, let's live in here. Listen to me. That wasn't out of love. That was out of fear. Fear that if I walk across the street, that person might not see me or see you and God forbid. Fear that if I fall off the curb, I could break my leg and then something could happen and then infection before you know it, I'm dead, right? That fear will drive you to a place that is away from faith in the one that we know has conquered it all. And watch this. You know what it does? Fear tries to put control back into our hands. When we don't have control, we never have and we never will have control. But what I wanted to do in that moment was to say to my second and fourth grader and my five kids and say, I don't want to hug you one last time, send you to school and never see you. And I'm watching these parents grieve from a senseless act. And I want to protect and I want to guard and I just want to go, don't, don't, don't go anywhere. When that's just fear of this world, all that energy inside me needs to be put my faith in Jesus. My heart needs to be in faith in Jesus because he's the only one who has the key to overcome. He tells the disciples this, John 16. Here's what he says. He says, a time is coming. This is Jesus talking to the disciples. He's talking to us. Time is coming when in fact it has come and it will come to you. You will be scattered each to your own home and you will leave me all alone. But it's not a guilt trip. Because Jesus said, yet I am alone for my father. I'm not alone. My father is with me. Listen to this. Jesus said, I have told you these things. I have told you that tragedies will come. I have told you that you're going to have trouble. I have told you that things will get worse before they get better. I have told you that this life is tough. Why, Jesus? So that in me, he said you may have peace. Not in laws, not in a politician, listen to me, not in a pastor or even a church, but only faith in Jesus gives you peace in this world. It's the only thing that can make sense of what we're going through. Because if, if I can't make sense of what we're going through through God's word, then what's the point? Because Jesus said this, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Jesus didn't say you have overcome the world. He said, I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. We will never overcome the world. You and me will never overcome the world by ourselves. It's only when we place our heart and our faith in Jesus do we get renewed day by day for these light and momentary troubles are going to pass away. And it's preparing a place for us, a place we can fix our eyes on, a place of heavenly hosts, a place where our Father will be with us us. But in the meantime, take heart, Jesus said, because I've already overcome the world. I've already overcome the world. So you and I can have the power to overcome. Why? Because he's our great overcomer. He's our champion. That's why in Revelation at the end of age, when John is writing Revelation, he had a revelatory moment. He's writing Revelations. 
it says this, it says they, that's us, they triumphed over him, that's the enemy, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb. Some of you are going, why are we, why are we going back to lamb's blood right now? You see, when the Israelites were coming out of Egypt, out of slavery, when Moses was leading them out, God said, I want you to take a lamb. I want you to sacrifice it. I want you to put that blood over the doorpost of the house. Watch this. And he said, anything in that house that you want saved and covered on the blood, it'll, judgment will pass over. It doesn't mean tragedy won't hit you. It just means, watch this, it won't affect you. It'll pass over you. So John writes there that we overcome, we triumph by the blood of the lamb. It's by the blood of the lamb that we overcome. Watch this. But wait, we have to apply the blood of the lamb. What does that mean, Pastor Chris? It means that every morning I wake up, my faith is in Jesus. And by the blood of Jesus, my kids are covered. Watch this. By the blood of Jesus, your marriage is covered. By the blood of Jesus, we apply the blood. Watch this. We apply. Does it mean things bad won't happen to me? Absolutely not. It just means it won't affect you that much. Because by the blood of the Lamb, we have a great overcomer who has already overcome the world. By the blood. You have to apply the blood. And then watch this. They said by the word of their testimony. You're going, well, that's Chris. I'm not a preacher. I didn't say that. You know what I know I love? Is I love the fact that God saved a sinner like me. And our testimony is this. If he could save me, he can save that 18-year-old that just shot up a supermarket. And if I fail to believe that, then I've lost the good that Jesus wants to put inside of me. If I lose sight of a mom, listen to me, in our backyard who is starving her children on purpose, then I lose sight of the hope Jesus wants to give me. That if that person can't be saved, then I shouldn't be saved. Then I shouldn't be saved. My testimony is the fact that God saved a sinner like me. And I believe there are 18 year olds out there right now that are thinking the same thing. Your testimony, your life could point them to the fact of saying, if God saved you, then he can save me. He can save me. He can save me. It is the testimony of Jesus that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were still saying no and spitting in his face, yet he chose anyway. And because of that, listen to me, we can now go into this world and we can fight from victory, not for victory. We can fight from victory, not for victory. Well, Pastor Chris, that's, that's easy for you to say, but it's, it's easy for me to forget. Me too. How I many know we, we are very forgetful? We're very forgetful. With it being Memorial Day weekend, I'm astonished still when I look at our flag and you see it up here to your left, my right. You see the flag. And when you look at that flag, it, it, it should remind us of freedom but also it should remind us about victory. Because that flag, if you haven't realized it, that they would march into battle with flags. They're just waving, I'm over here, but still they're flags. And it was about whose flag could stand and fly till the end was gonna be the victorious one. And when I look at our American flag, I also think back to our national anthem. I've done them hundreds of times before football games, Super Bowls, everything else, right? We all sing them. We all know it. We did. But we forget sometimes how that was penned. That the War of 1812, Francis Scott Key was there while the British was attacking. And he just goes, if our flag is still there at the end, it means we've won. 
If it's not, then we've lost. And as he woke up and daybreak came, it says that he saw the flag. And as he saw the flag, he pinned the words and the rockets red glare, the bombs bursting in air, but gave proof, proof through the night that our flag was still there. You see, we're reminded, and even in this Memorial Day weekend, that this flag, it stands for victory and it reminds us we have freedoms and we have victory because of the people that paid the price. I'm not sure you're aware of this, but in this word, God has a lot of names. But there's one name I want to remind you of this, this morning. And it's the name of Jehovah Nisi. And y'all are going, what did he say? What? Jehovah Nisi. It means the Lord is my banner or the Lord is my flag. It's when Moses Aaron and her were holding up Moses' arms and Joshua is fighting against the Amalekites and they won. God helped them defeat it. And so he built this altar and he named the altar in Exodus 17. And he said, this altar is gonna be called Jehovah Nisi. So generations after that, when they look at this altar, they'll say that the Lord is my banner. Never will my Lord fall. Never will my God perish. Never will God disappoint me even when the world does. So can I encourage you in your moment of personal tragedy, as you're looking through the lens of eternity at these tragedies and the tragedies that will come, will you remember Jehovah Nisi, that the Lord is my banner and because he has overcome, watch this, I have overcome. Amen. Would you bow your heads? Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for your word that's transforming us. And I just feel an urge to pray for those that are going through personal tragedies right now. We see these national tragedies and they affect us all, but I'm praying this morning for those that are personal. Maybe they have a tragedy going on in their life that they're battling. If that's you in here, I just want you to raise your hand. I'm another one looking. Just raise your hand. I'm gonna pray for you this morning. Keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. Raise your hand all over this place. Thank you. If you're going, I'm going through a personal tragedy right now. I wanna pray for the peace of God to come upon you. I see you, I see you. Father in heaven, I thank you right now. I thank you, God that we're reminded of Jehovah Nisi, that the Lord is their banner, that in him and only in him do we have peace. So each and every single person that raised their hand in here for the tragedy that's going, the lost loved one, God, the wayward son and daughter, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, you're comforting peace over them. I pray that you lift their eyes to the eternal, to the unseen things, that they put their heart and their faith in Jesus and in Jesus alone who has overcome the world. Comfort them like only you can, Holy Spirit, and give them peace right where they are. Now, if your hand was raised, I just want you to say, I received that. And the peace of God is gonna come upon you. Come on, Holy Spirit. Thank you, God. Thank you, God doesn't mean things will be fixed. It just means you have the fixer in your corner. Thank you, Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my banner. He will fight our battles. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. This morning, maybe you don't know if heaven is your home. I want to help you with that this morning. Maybe you don't know how to have heaven here on earth and how to see eternal things. And Jesus makes it very clear that if you want to enter in or even see the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. He didn't say go to church. He didn't say be Protestant or Catholic. He didn't say get baptized or get christened. He said you must be born again. I want to offer that to you today. It only happens one time. You're only born physically once. You're only born again one time. And this morning, I'm gonna pray a prayer over you. It's not a magical prayer. It's not the prayer that saves you. It's your faith, the Bible says. Your faith in Jesus that saves you. But I wanna offer that to you. You might be asking, well, Pastor Chris, how do I, how do I be born again? How can I do that? The simple is A, B, C, A, we just admit we're sinners in need of a savior. B, believe that what Jesus did on the cross was enough to cover your past present and future sins and see we confess him as savior he saves us 
but now he is Lord, he is King, he is ruler, he is overcomer, he is champion of my life. And if that's you in here, with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, you're going, Pastor Chris, pray for me. Include me in that born again prayer today. Today, I wanna be born again. On the count of three, I just want you to raise your hand and wave it at me. One, God brought you here on purpose. He knew you'd be in this room since the foundation of the world. Two, God is calling you home not just to experience heaven when you die, but to have heaven here on earth in your heart as tragedies are going on. And he wants you to come home. I want you to raise your hand, three, now. If that's you, raise your hand, wave it at me. I see you, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Awesome, thank you, thank you. 15, 16, wonderful, awesome. You can put your hands down. Last 10 seconds. If you raised your hand once, you don't ever have to raise it again. But if you want to join those hands that were raised, I want you to raise it now. This is for you. Anyone else? Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. I see you. Thank you. Wonderful. Well, church, with all those hands that were raised, we're all going to say this prayer as a church family together. Repeat after me, dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, my guilt, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose on the third day to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from my sin to be born again. Say this with me, God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen.